This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Welcome back to The Gospel for Life. In studio with me today is Pastor Ryan, Pastor Jonathan, and my good friend Brandon Lockridge. Uh, Pastor Russ is out today. We are continuing our series, uh, Five Things About Five Theologians. Uh, We have covered Ulrich Zwingli and the beginning of the Swiss Reformation, Martin Luther and his work in Wittenberg. And then uh, last episode we covered was John Calvin and his work. And now we're going to look at not not someone who was part of the initial Reformation, but certainly someone who benefited from that work and continued many of its themes. And for our Baptist brothers today, uh, hopefully a great encouragement, and that is Dr. Charles Spurgeon. Mm-hmm. So uh, this comes from an article by Michael Reeves on the Gospel Coalition from 2018. Uh, and one of the first points he makes about Spurgeon is that his ministry began in the year of his conversion as a young man. Yeah, this is a really interesting story. So, you know, Charles Spurgeon is caught in a snowstorm, and he finds this this Methodist church in in Colchester. And the fascinating thing about this story is that the primary minister of that church was not there at the church that day because he also was caught in a snowstorm and wasn't able to make it to the church. So Spurgeon is there as a young man. He finds shelter there, and he's sitting in the pews. And since the minister didn't show up, they had to call up a layman, one of the laymen, to come and preach that morning. And he started preaching out of Isaiah. And it was in that service that he he set his eyes on Spurgeon and discerned that there that this was a young man who needed Jesus. Mm. And he began to preach directly at Spurgeon the way that he tells it. He preached directly at me and he was saved. He was converted to Christ that morning. Sometimes people think you're preaching directly at them and and you had no understanding right. of that. This man apparently was doing that yes. with, with Charles. Well, from what I understand, there was only a few people in there because of that snowstorm. Right. There was like <laughs> maybe uh, maybe no, no more than 12 people. Uh, so uh, it was probably not hard for him to have eye contact with, the, with that young man right. there. Mm-hmm. And maybe knowing the others and not knowing uh, Spurgeon, his, his thoughts were directed in that way toward him. I thought it was interesting from this article because it, you know, this first point is he um, began his ministry in the first year of his conversion. And it was like later that year, he was, the author says he was tricked into right. giving his first sermon. An older gentleman asked him to go to another town because there was a young man there preaching who wasn't used to the church services and he would appreciate his company. 
And it wasn't until later that Spurgeon realized he was that young man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. I am that man. I am yes. that man. Yeah. yeah. Indeed. Uh, one of the things about Spurgeon that I appreciate about his preaching ministry is his emphasis on the new birth, uh, the yeah. regenerative work of the Spirit as it leads to uh, faith and repentance. Yeah, Spurgeon was always looking for that regeneration, right? He preached in, in such a way as to expect it, you know. And there's a f- fascinating story about Spurgeon where somebody was kind of confronting him about his Calvinism and saying, you know, if you believe that, you know, the that all Christians are elect, then why don't you just preach to the elect? And he said, good sir, if all the elect had an E on their chest, I would preach to them. But since they don't, I'm going to preach to everyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was, you know, one of his methods was he, he would, we've talked about how other reformers actually brought back what we call the Lectio Continua study of Scripture, you know, where you start in a book, you continue in a book, and you take each uh, section verse by verse, chapter by chapter in expository preaching. Spurgeon was an expository preacher, but he did it in a different manner. He would just take a text. He would take the take a text from anywhere in Scripture, and then he said when it, his practice was to isolate uh, one or a few verses as a springboard to proclaim the gospel. He said, I take my text and then I make a beeline toward the cross. You know, so every time he set, stepped foot in the pulpit, his, his goal was the salvation of sinners and the proclamation of the saving message of Jesus Christ. And uh, so he, would, he, said, he said what Paul did. He wanted to do what Paul did. I determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you've said many times before, Vinny, at Valley Life is you, you'll say, I've got one message, it's the same message every single week, and it's Jesus, right? And this, is, this, was, this was true for Spurgeon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a great book where Stephen Lawson unpacks this. He, he calls it The Gospel Focus of Charles Spurgeon, mm-hmm. and he does a great job of outlining Spurgeon's preaching method and then talks about several of the ways that Spurgeon would call for uh, conversion or, or call for a, a moment of faith in, mm-hmm. in the lives of his listeners. Yeah, Stephen Lawson actually has a lot of good little biographies. Uh, yeah, they're excellent. A long line of godly men. And, yes. You know, the, you'll, you'll find a number of the people that we've talked about, he's actually written, written short biographies and, and drawn attention to a particular character and quality about about them, but uh, you know, as Spurgeon was asked, what was the secret of his success? He he says, I always answer that I have no other secret than this than I than that I have preached the gospel, not about the gospel, but the gospel, the full, free, glorious gospel of the living Christ, who is the incarnation of the good news. Preach Jesus Christ, brethren, and always and everywhere, and every time you preach, you will be sure to have much of Jesus Christ in the sermon. Yeah, his 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 uh his book lecture to my students is excellent. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's one of my favorite. That was I I was given that book you know when I was graduating from seminary yep. by, by friends, and I've read it multiple times. Very very good example of what we need to be as ministers. Yeah, if you're out there even considering pastoral ministry, I'd recommend highly you you grab that book, Lectures to My Students by Charles Spurgeon. One of the interesting things, and again, I appreciate this about Spurgeon is that he was uh, serious about joy. He 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 uh, he puts the fun and fundamental. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <laughs> that would be true. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about his humor for a little bit. 
Well, you know, I th- I think that one of the places that some of his humor comes out, he he actually wrote under a pseudonym at one time, it was John Plowman, hmm. uh, his plain talks for plain people, and uh, you know, in in this, you know, he would say. Whether I please or whether I tease, I'll give you my honest mind. If the cap should fit, pray wear it a bit. If not, you can leave it behind. And he and he gave a lot of practical things in this in in his uh, series. He 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 wrote to the idol, to religious gum grumblers, to about gossips, about <laughs> keeping one's eyes open, you know, about debt and home and and hope. So in one sense, you know, in his preaching, he aimed for the cross, and in his writings, oftentimes he was aiming to- toward the heart and the and the Christian life and how it affected everything. Yeah, uh, one of the quotes from the article says, uh, for Spurgeon, joy was a theological matter and a manifestation of that happiness and cheer which is found in Christ alone. Yeah. I, th- I think as, as, as Christians, we, we have a beautiful understanding of humor and joy because of the spirit that lives within us. In fact, it's a fruit of the spirit that the joy would flow out of us. Right? And I think he understood assurance of faith well. I think he understood forgiveness and grace in, in Jesus Christ well, right? Because the, the article goes on to talk about how, you know, he, he didn't, you know, he wouldn't make a habit of, you know, getting sunken down into, you know, sullenness and gratitude, you know, bitterness, despair, right? And so, he understood, he understood those things really well, I believe. There's a there's a fun there's a fun little anecdote what how true it is or not I'm not sure but there's a fun little anecdote about the time that he met DL Moody I'm not sure if you heard this but yeah. uh, DL Moody visits him in London and he comes up to the door Spurgeon opens the door with a cigar in his mouth and DL Moody says how in the world can you being a man of God smoke that thing now DL Mo- Moody was a rather Rotan. fat man. Yeah, he was a rather <laughs> fat man. And so Spurgeon, Spurgeon uh, put his finger on his belly and said, the same way that you, being a man of God, can be that fat. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, uh, well, the fourth thing, he, he wasn't okay. a small man himself. Either. No. <laughs> but, he also, but he also understood that Christ wants us to be happy. I mean, right. and, and this, is, this is the thing that he was aiming for in, in his life. To show the buoyancy of the spirit of God in the life of believers, to you know, I don't think uh, Spurgeon took himself seriously. Mm-hmm. That that's the one thing you know that yeah. we all need to do. Too too many people are self serious and and they don't make themselves real before other people. Mm-hmm. And uh, there should be a, a certain transparency about us in the Christian life. One that we do laugh at a good joke, and we yeah. we do have a we do enjoy life in, as God has given t- to us. Yeah, I think his commitment to joy becomes even more admirable in light of the next thing we should know about Spurgeon. That is that he did suffer depression while he was full of life and joy. Mm-hmm. He suffered deeply because the, the man suffered deep tragedies, illnesses, uh, mm-hmm. and, and stress in, over the course of his ministry. Um, his wife, Susanna, writes of him. He says, My beloved's anguish was so deep and violent that reason seemed to totter in her throne, and we sometimes feared that he would never preach again. 
I think that you know circumstances brought that on. At one point, he was preaching, and this is you know he was preaching in a huge auditorium. He would preach to thousands of people. People would actually stand in line so that they could get a seat in the auditorium in which he was preaching. You know, you would arrive early uh, because there weren't enough places to sit. And at one point, a fire broke out, and many people lost their lives. And he felt quite responsible for that. And as you know, people were yelling fire, people were trampled, and uh, he had depression from that, that, that loss of life. He took life very seriously. He took the fact that people were going to their grave without knowing Jesus seriously. And it caused him a great deal of, of godly sorrow, but real remorse and sorrow, wishing he could do more. And uh, as a result, he did need some time away. He needed some time to recuperate to be able to begin to preach that glorious message. Yeah, I, think I, think I, this, think, well, I was just going to say, I, I think it shows us, too, that you know we can kind of think like, well, I, as a Christian, I shouldn't struggle with depression or things like that. But even the one of the greatest preachers and theologians who, as we just looked at, he, I mean, look what he focused on. He focused on uh, preaching the new birth. He was serious about joy, and yet still he... He suffered with depression, and during one of those bouts of illness that he had, I mean, God used him. He he wrote a commentary on the Psalms called "The Treasuries of David," mm-hmm. and which is a great commentary on the Psalms. And uh, but that was that came about through one of these bouts that he had with uh, illness. Yeah, one of the things I appreciate about this attribute of Spurgeon is that even in moments of sorrow and sadness, and this brings us to our fifth point about him, is that he was emphatically Christ-centered. He didn't allow his depression to lead him astray, but rather to lead him back to his Savior in Christ. Any final thoughts about Spurgeon? Well, again, it's just something that I think all preachers need to hear. I mean, we, Jesus himself in the road to Emmaus, he, he pointed out how the scriptures point to him mm-hmm. and reveal him. And he is the hero of the book, and every text does have its avenue to Christ. Yeah. Our sorrow might central. Yeah. Our sorrow might be great, but our savior is greater. Mm-hmm. Hey, thanks for listening to the Gospel for Life, and we'll be back tomorrow with five more things about one more theologian.